0: This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete. The podcast is great as the Nokia 3310, which is great. <laughs> That intro comes from at Raymond25wills on Twitter. We love your intros. Keep sending it. They're bringing the 3310 back. Do you see that, Walt?
1: I, I didn't see that. There's no.
0: a whole There's a whole thing. They're going to reintroduce the 3310 at NWC next week. There, there was an article in Bloomberg about how feature phones are making this weird comeback. It's, a, it's strange times. Anyhow, I am Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, uh, the Walter Cation himself, Verge executive editor, recode editor at large, Walter Mossberg. How are you doing, Walt? <laughs> uh,
1: uh, great. I'm doing great. I think I pissed off all the TV networks, but I'm doing great.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, so we can talk about TV. That's a on great the show day when
1: you do that. <laughs> for
0: weeks. For weeks, for weeks, for weeks. Um, and your column this week was uh, about code media, what you're learning about TV. You've got you've sent me I we'll get into it later, but you sent me some of your old columns on TV, including one, which I am just very excited to talk about. But you were at Code Media last week, and you put together kind of a synthesis of where you see the TV industry is now, the difficult road ahead, and, and where you want it to go.
1: Right. Where I want personally want it to go, which is, of course, where it needs to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah, what other direction could it possibly go except the one that you want?
1: So where I want it to go is basically... Here, here's here's my theory, basically, and and it's partly what pissed off the networks. First of all, this is not just me, but lots of people, I think it needs to be all unbundled, uh, like everything else has been unbundled. And, um, you know, it's partly unbundled in the sense that, or there are different bundles that are easier to navigate, like Netflix, um, but it, you know, there are not over 90 million homes that are still buying, uh, in the US, that are still buying large bundles of these things called networks or channels which I regard as archaic terms. And most of them, they don't watch. And they present the show, which is what you really care about, in, in a format that is linear and that is interrupted by interstitial ads, just like this podcast. and um, But worse, much worse, like a five-minute. <laughs> this podcast has a highly entertaining short uh, interstitial ad uh, that you read, and then we're back. Yeah, these are five minute five minute blocks or or something of commercials, uh, and uh, which seventy or eighty percent of everybody uh, skips through whenever they can. So they're highly ineffective for the advertiser too, in my opinion. And that's you know that's twenty years ago. That's thirty years ago. It's the same essential format that. That is how these people are watching TV on their TVs. We all know you can watch what we call TV shows on iPads and iPhones, Android phones, Windows phones, PCs and Macs. And we all do, including a lot of these people who are still paying for the cable. But um, I'm focused here on the kind of living room experience and how traditional TV has not been revolutionized. So what I want, I want this thing unbundled in every possible way. I don't only want it unbundled from the cable bundle. I want it unbundled from the network. And I want it served. served, I'm willing to pay for it. I don't want to steal it. I'm willing to have an option. If people don't mind commercials, they can watch ads. If people hate commercials and have the money to uh, spend they can pay a little more and not watch ads uh, and that's what i want for all tv to be
0: yeah and, and the comparison in your column that you made was to to spotify and apple music and title and those services where you with spotify you can listen to some ads and you can just use spotify and whatever is in spotify's catalog you get access to you can pay some money and then you can just listen to any song you want more or less. There's some exclusives right. that go on the other services. but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, there are some temporary exclusives on these different services, but that's fine. That's just marketing. Uh, by and large, Apple and, Spot- Apple and Spotify have the same catalog. And very importantly, the newest songs on the day of release, for the most part, I mean, if it's not an exclusive promotion, mm-hmm. and also this giant back catalog of all the other songs you ever remember and might one day... For some reason, want to listen to maybe you just get in the mood to listen to, you know, the very latest artist that's just kind of coming up. And the next day, you decide you want to listen to, I don't know, doo-wop or something. It's right. on there.
0: So here's what, so you are Code Media. All the, you know, you were talking last week. We talked about Code Media a bit. All the, you know, brightest lights in the executive ranks of the industry are Code Media. As you're listening to people on stage, talking to in the audience, what's the holdup? Why, why can't we get there?
1: Um, I don't think the holdup is technology at all. Mm-hmm. Uh I you know, I think the holdup up is two things. One is, you know, just the the payment and money transfer flow system uh is very lucrative. I mean, Ben Thompson, who's a very smart strategist and analyst of tech, did a fifteen minute presentation, very tight, very smart, about this where he talked about how different types of media have been unbundled, but the TV bundle it's the toughest one yet because it's still profitable. So part of it is money. And then part of it is the incredible complexity of rights. Between the time I went to the conference and the time I wrote the column, I spoke to some um, sources who know about, for instance, Apple's discussion with the studios, uh, which had been going on for a few years. Peter, our friend Peter Kafka, who is also the producer of Code Media, you know, has been following this in his stories for a long time. And um, the difference between music and TV now is they both involved somewhat complicated multiple rights holders who had to be satisfied. But it's like orders of magnitude worse on television and uh, uh, television shows. Everybody who is a rights holder of some kind has to agree. And then there's, as Eddie Q said this from the stage, there's a whole bunch of what he called rules, by which I think he means things like Windows. Mm-hmm. You know, th- uh, this, this plays on network on day of release. It can go on iTunes and Amazon for download maybe the next day, but it can't go on streaming the next day unless it's Hulu which the networks happen to own. And, even an, and then you have to watch an ad with it unless you pay $4 more a month. I mean, it's just crazy. And then, you know, eventually it makes its way into, uh, you know, Netflix and the streaming, you know, some other streaming things and, or into the app. There's probably some other rule for when a CBS TV show can go into the CBS app. So there's rights, there's money, there's rights, and there's rules. And those, that's the perfect definition, I think, of any legacy system. And to disrupt it, you have to break through all those things.
0: You know what would help is if you were uh, one of the most powerful companies in technology and you had more money than any company has ever had in the bank in the history of the world. It's just, I don't know, it, it seems like that would be useful. And yet Apple, which meets that definition, can't seem to get there.
1: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, my guess, my reading of Eddie Q on stage and a little bit of reporting, uh, which doesn't compare to uh, you know, Peter Kafka's reporting, but careful reading of Peter and a careful listening to Eddie Q at the conference leads me to believe that, yes, Apple has all the money, uh, more money than any company's ever had or does have today at least, uh, but there's a certain limit to how much money they want to pay. Uh, It may be that they're willing to pay generously by some definitions, but not, you know, in unlimited amounts. And then secondly, let's just say for sake of argument, they're willing to pay, they're willing to outbid the cable guys or anybody else. They still have to, they're they're now a new, and and let's just say they want to do close to the kind of unbundling I'm talking about, uh, which I think their TV app shows you they kind of do. Mm -hmm. Then maybe they've taken care of the money end, but they still haven't taken care of the rights and rules uh, uh, parts of this triad. And so my interpretation of what Q said on stage, and uh, I put this in the column, is that he is playing a long game and he thinks this will happen, but it's going to take time. And the reason I know this is that when people kept hammering him, Peter on stage and some people from the audience... Kept hammering them, and this and one person from the audience said, "Why don't you stop buying back your shares <laughs> and just great. and just give us a la carte TV?" And he didn't directly answer the question, but he instead he decided to tell the story, and he claimed that nobody has said, told this full story before. Uh, but he said, "Look, when the music companies in the early two thousands were dying because of piracy, I mean they were being decimated by piracy to an extent that the TV." guys are not tv guys have a piracy problem but but because tv files are big and all of that it's nothing like what music was um even with that circumstance when apple first approached them they spent three or four months talking to them and then they to use q's words they told us to go away yeah they just they just threw them out and then a year later they called them back because the piracy problem just got worse. And they said, all right, let's start talking again. And it still took eight more months to work out the first deal, which you remember was only on Macs, you know, and had DRM and all this stuff. It took eight months to work that out. This is a much more complicated problem. So my reading of Q was not that Apple is giving, has given up. But they, they're, they're just waiting for the situation to get more favorable.
0: So here the situation getting more favorable is an interesting – it's not going to get more favorable on its own, right? And the way you brought up at the very beginning, we actually watch more TV on more devices than ever before. And that's worth unpacking a little bit. But the second thing I'll say is you know, I have this deep, dark past as a lawyer and I was really interested in copyright law. And one of the things that is different about music and television is that the way the deals are structured for music, songs last forever, right? You don't put out a song and then take it back and create demand for the song again. You just put it out in the world. So the, the songwriter, the performer, the label, they all have some rights in the song.
1: Publisher, the,
0: the publisher.
1: The publisher.
0: called the publisher. Yep. Um, they, yeah. you know, they put out the song they license it to car commercials they expect people to buy the record you but the expectation is that once the song is out in the world thus it shall be right and you, there's no taking it back right. because songs are so no, widely right. distributed and they're everywhere with and video uh, particularly television yeah. and movies the expectation with these windows is it's the distribution is so tightly controlled because when you had physical video Re, like rolls of film, or whatever the hell, reels of film. Uh, rolls or, of film.
1: or tape. Or, or big or tapes. Tape, roll, or broadcast from the TV. Giant tape cassettes.
0: Yep. Yeah. Or you know, even in the early days of TiVo, you could broadcast it and record it, but it was physically stuck on the box in your house. The expectation was the distribution was so hard that if you controlled the distribution, you could make money several times on a piece of content. That's where Windows come from. So first, you know, for a movie... You have the first window in the theater, and everyone rushes the theater because your movie's so good and you market it so well, and they all pay a ticket. Then you take it back, and no one can watch it anymore. And then you put it out, uh, you know, to to buy on laserdisc, you know, in the eighties, uh, and every you know the people really care; they buy the laserdisc. Then you put it out in VHS and the people who care a little bit about VHS. Then you put out the ones that Blockbuster can rent. You make cheaper copies of all the features, and Blockbuster signed a deal with you, so they put out the rental ones. And then finally, you put it on HBO, because HBO pays a, uh, a higher fee um, to put it on premium cable, because they're paying subscribers. Well, then you take it back from HBO, forget- and then at the very end, you put it on ABC at 8 p.m. on Sunday night with commercials, and you take the, the least amount of the money, and then you license it to TBS. right? Like,
1: And somewhere, somewhere in there, it's on an airplane.
0: Yeah, and then you and then you license and then finally at the end of it all, right? And then and then you know and then ESPN's running it at one a.m. on a Tuesday night because they have nothing else because yeah. at that time ESPN just right. showed like ping pong tournaments, right? Uh, that was a very lucrative business for these companies. <laughs> oh, and then yeah. you you take it out of the United States and you license it again in in England and in Germany and France and China and, and right. So you, the, the the fundamental notion was that video was scarce that you could take it back from the market and create demand and release it back to the market for money one more time. That notion has never been true of music. Ever. So, you know, when when Q's like, you know, the labels hated us, he could wait them out because piracy was just destroying the only business they had. So if they wanted any money, they had to they had to come crawling back. I think there's been a lot of destruction of the the video business model particularly the fact that video is not scarce anymore but there isn't this one existential threat to television or movies the way that there was for for music because they are still windowing stuff they are still making hbo buy it to put it on hbo go and then taking it back and then giving it to netflix and then taking it back and then putting it on tv they they're doing that left and right they are putting the movies in theaters and taking back the tv networks You know, CBS doesn't let you log in with your cable credentials. You have to buy CBS All Access, which I think is horrible. But Fox will let you log in with your cable credentials. Some of the stuff is on Hulu. And so they are creating this artificial scarcity. And I I just wonder, I don't know if Apple can wait that out. Like, there's nothing natural about that system that's going to break it.
1: And Apple clearly, I mean, you know, I'm just telling you, I – I'm not quoting him because he didn't say this specifically, but I think it's it, it's it's a fair interpretation of what he said on stage that eventually they will be able to get something done. It's difficult, and they have to wait it out. Now, I disagree with you a little bit in that I think some things are going on that maybe aren't exactly analogous to music because mm-hmm. I think your well, you're, all your points are right. I mean, hey, you didn't even mention the worst one terms of creating scarcity which is Disney taking yeah. the most beloved cartoons of, of, of children that you know snow snow white or whatever whatever it is and and releasing them um, uh, first in the theater and then taking them away even on DVD release them on DVD and then taking them away and not (laughs) re-releasing them for like 10 years. And then a big marketing campaign for the first time in 10 years, we're taking it out of the Disney vault and we're re-releasing it. And it's, you know, maybe it's been remastered or something, but it's basically, it's the same thing. Uh, It's not like a new, they they do have new versions, but I'm talking about the original beloved versions. And they've done this with all their great animated movies. So, um, I mean, that they're, they're, you're right. They're, they're masters of it, and it's a big part. But there are a couple of things happening. One is, and this is particularly for TV, their main distribution channels, uh, not their only one, uh, as you pointed out, CBS All Access, HBO Go, HBO Now, you know Netflix, all the things you can get on a Roku or an Apple TV or uh, an Amazon Firebox, uh, whatever, Uh, is a distribution channel. But their main distribution channel, which is cable and satellite, is not collapsing, but is certainly going down. Yeah. And there's some point at which, you know, I I used a report, uh, I linked to a report in my column that showed, I think, 93 million homes in the U.S. There's about 100 and, I don't know, this is, some reader will probably tell me I'm wrong, but I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of 110 million homes or 115 million homes in the U.S. 93 million of them have cable or satellite. Uh, and that dropped in this particular quarter, which was, I think, uh, the the second or third quarter of last year, in that particular quarter, dropped by 600,000, which is not tiny, but it, it's not collapsing yet. But if that keeps going, if the drops keep getting bigger, then it accelerates. And that's one way in which the situation changes and, and, and more pressure uh, is put on them. Because if they're because their money comes from Comcast and and DirecTV and those guys paying them a fortune for uh, you know retransmission rights and transmission rights and obviously they'll have less money to pay if people are not subscribing. That is a change over time. I don't know how much time, I don't know how big a change, I don't know how bad a hurt but it's that's the direction it's going and that so that's one thing and then the other thing is competitive sources of programming it's you know i don't care how many emmys uh netflix has won i don't care how many amazon has won uh i, I don't think apple's going to win any emmys for its first two shows but <laughs> it, 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 we we can, <laughs> I we, can, we, can be, <laughs> we we could be we well, I watch the carpool karaoke one, but it's derivative of clearly, directly derivative in every sense from something that's already on traditional network TV as a segment. Uh, James Corden on the on the Late Late Show, and it's even done by his producer. And the other one is derivative. It's called. You talked. We talked about it last week, and you guys talked about it on the Verge Cast. But it's Planet of the Apps, and it's it's sort of like Shark Tank or. I don't know, Project Runway yeah. or
0: It's actually like a, a combination
1: cookie. of all of these things. Top Chef, it's the same idea. Um, Top Sh- it would
0: be great if they incorporated some Top Chef elements. <laughs> they just in the middle they're like, "You know, now cook us a meal."
1: It's got a very smart, very good producer, uh, uh, Ben Silverman who who brought, uh, you know, brought The Office to America, huge I think important show in in, in television history. Started in the UK, but he brought it to America. And by the way, he pointed out on stage that that show almost died, uh, almost got canceled, except people started downloading it on, on iTunes. This is before streaming, and that's right. what saved it. So uh, that was one of the very first moments once when, when when a tech video service had an impact on you know the big bad networks. So I, I you know I think if if, if Apple again, it's just. We don't know, but it sounds to me – I'd be willing to say – I am willing to say – I'm saying on this podcast that I suspect Apple will do more and more TV and hopefully more original TV. And so – and they they may not be the only one. Other people will do it. And so that's another pressure point on them. One pressure point is their distributors having less and less money, fewer and fewer subscribers, and the other is more competition – from outside the studio uh, system you itself. Know,
0: the other thing Hugh said, which is we didn't talk about at all hardly last week, and it kind of went unremarked upon generally, um, is that he thinks there's a huge future in interactivity with the Apple TV. That you're right. going to watch CNN and they're going to do an opinion poll and you're going to pick up your iPhone and you're going to vote in real time and, that, you know, and that's going to do something. Or you're going to be watching plan of the apps and they're going to say now the audience will vote on what's happening? You, you know you can vote pretty much all the interactivity you thought of came down to voting but so it goes uh,
1: no there's a little more there's a little more can I just say before you go on because yeah. I, I just think it bolsters your point so he said so, so the code media conference and all of our code conferences tend to have an evening set of speakers and, and then you know of course they go through the day the next day or in the case of the bigger conference more than one day and um, he spoke at night, and and sometime in the morning the next day, Dan Rose from Facebook spoke and talked about how they're going to put an, an app on Apple TV. And I immediately thought, well, there's your interactivity. I mean, the app will probably be very heavily video, but still there'll be likes, there'll be comments. The Apple TV remote does allow you to dictate words mm-hmm. uh, and certainly – uh, indicate likes or or loves or all those different things. So <laughs> I think that's that's going to be very you know, and that's not voting. I mean, in a way it's voting, but you can also leave comments and so forth. So I can imagine that that would be an interactive app.
0: Well, so what's interesting to me about that um, is, first of all, most people think of interactive video entertainment as video games, and video games are very popular, uh, and there are big companies that make big pieces of hardware with huge audiences and install base and app economy, the whole thing in video games. And so every right. time I you know, I hear this, I'm like, you're just talking about video games. And I actually thought back to when the Xbox One came out, uh, and I, I'm going to eventually make some sort of video about this, I promise. Um, but we have it on video. The guy who started Xbox Live, he's talking to me about the new Xbox One, um, and he's like, American Idol is the world's biggest video game. You watch uh, a one-hour cutscene, and then there's an interactive period where you push a bunch of buttons. You you know, you text your vote, you call your vote. And then there's a one-hour cutscene where they tell you what happened after you pushed all the buttons. That's a video game. We should do that with the Xbox. And that was Microsoft's big plan for TV. We're going to make TV interactive. They called them app channels. And it went nowhere because of this thing that you want, which is Asynchronous entertainment where you sit down, you tell the TV what you want to watch, it doesn't matter what show or, or what network or platform or whatever, and it shows it to you. And if you build interactivity into it, then either you have to play the game, and I don't think Apple's really talking about games, or it has to be live so that your feedback to the performer or whatever is meaningful. And I I don't think I think when I hear TV companies say their platform will enable interactivity. What they mean is, the only way to interact will be on our platform, so everyone will have to pick our platform. But that's not actually the thing in your column, Walt, that you say you want. What you want is to just watch shows. You want to lean back. You want to not. Yeah. Well, that's engage. why you didn't
1: see me write. I didn't really write about interactivity, but uh, and we agreed we'd talk about it on the podcast. So you might be right. You know, I'll tell you. There's an app. Uh, first of all, there are a lot of there are a lot of games on Apple TV. Uh, I think, a couple of thousand games on Apple but TV. But I, right I, I, I will just, I
0: will say to the audience, and, and everyone can disagree with me, A, none of them are great. They're all basically iPhone games. And two, if you really care about games, y- you should buy a, a PlayStation. or Xbox
1: I, I understand what you're saying, yeah. but there's still there's still so some interactivity in yeah. them. There's some interactivity in them. Uh, and secondly, we're not talking about whether, look, when I talk about being able to call up TV shows, there are going to be people who are going to call up only TV shows you and you hate, or I hate. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. we're not talking about quality. They're gonna, there are people that love playing Candy Crush, and and that you don't need a console for that. And you and that's for all I know. It probably is on the Apple TV. I haven't looked. But the point is, it's a game, and there is some interactivity in it. I mean, there's Zillow on the Apple TV. There's a lot of things which could invite interactivity. Now, I didn't write about it because. I could be historically wrong. This could be the one thing that unlocks everything, but I doubt it. It's yeah. put it on – to me, it, you, like you put it on the pile. If it catches on, if even one or two apps uh, on Apple TV or one or two services on the Amazon boxes, they can do an interactivity too. They all have voice. They all have a, you know a, a smart remote. They all know about technology. Roku, any of them can do it. Um, If you begin to get these things, which cannot be delivered as easily uh, in the traditional system, just put it on the pile of things that are going to maybe eventually open the door to some kind of reinvention of TV. I don't think it's going to be all-around interactivity, but it's just another thing.
0: Yeah, and it just to me, every time I hear one of these TV platform companies say – well, we're gonna figure out interactivity. I think, man, I've been hearing that for a long time. And if you're gonna, if you're, it's gonna be voting. Why wouldn't you just have people text you? Because a, it's pretty simple. Everyone knows how to text.
1: Yeah, but we don't know. We don't know what he's talking about. We don't know what we're gonna see.
0: That's that's very true.
1: I'll be the second one because I think you'll be the first one. I'll be the second one to dump all over it once we've seen. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I'm Ten just, bad examples of it.
0: To to me, the the thing in particular to talk about interactive TV without acknowledging that video games are a dominant part of our culture is it, it it misses the point. And when the console makers talked about interactive TV, and they're the ones making the video game, they didn't get it right. So there there's a way to go. Now, the other thing I want to bring up with you, I've got I've got this old column here, um, but before I, I, I talk about that, you talking you talked a lot about. We watch TV everywhere, right? I mean, we, we watch, you watch it, I'm sure, on your iPad. I watch a ton of video on my phone. Everyone's watching t- video everywhere. Is there to you, is there, is there something that needs to happen? Is it, do you really just want an app that has all the shows in it? Do you just want Netflix to have all the shows and you just can watch it on your app or you can watch it on the Netflix app on the TV? Or do you think there needs to be some actual difference in the experience of sitting down to watch a big TV in your living room versus watching an iPad or a phone?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, Right now there isn't except for the size of the screen and the fact that you have to sort of know where to find it. Uh, What I don't want on any of those platforms, on all of those platforms, from my family room TV to my phone, I don't want to have to think about what quote – and I'm I'm using air quotes here, but I mean them – uh, network it's on certainly. I don't want to have to think about what bundle I can obtain it through uh, with my uh, cable company. I don't even really want to think about whether it's Hulu or Netflix or some other streaming service. Uh, I want to have a playlist of shows, like I have a playlist of music, multiple playlists of shows, or and then the ability to not have to watch a show that's not on a playlist. You know, I. I, I, you and I are chatting. You say, "Have you watched blah blah show?" And I say, "No." And I decide, I'm. You know, if you said to me that uh, that to me about a song
0: mm-hmm. or
1: band, I would almost certainly the next free few, few minutes I had, I would listen to one of the songs just to see what you were talking about. It's a little harder with a TV show. You need a little more time. But the next block of suitable time I had, I would go and listen to that show. And I would, and and, and I would just want to speak into the phone. The tablet, the remote, on the uh, on the in the living room, whatever, whichever one it is, and say, you know, bring up whatever the show is you said. And if you didn't, but I couldn't even remember the title. It needs to be smart enough. You, you <laughs> said to me, D- did you see the show with this actor? And I, I could call up the actor. And you can actually do that on the Apple TV and some of the other boxes now. That's what I want. But you're raising another interesting point. Should they be configured in a different way? Maybe with more interactivity. Maybe somebody will think of a type of storytelling that works better on a smaller screen. I'm not against that. That's all okay with me. But fundamentally, I don't want all these legacy things to be in the middle of it. You know, I went on CNBC today, and I said something that I originally was going to put in the column but took out for length, which was I had (laughs) – it was – it was, you would have looked at it because you edit. I think the listeners know you edit my comms, <laughs> and you would have said, This is slowing it down. This is so long. You've gone on a whole tirade <laughs> tangent here. Wow. I don't know. It it's is, great.
0: What is it? <laughs> I don't want
1: to know. Well, it's an attack on the TV networks. Yeah. I basically said, The general purpose TV networks, uh, of which I think most of them are, are like that. Uh, there are some. I mean, you know, if you watch. CNBC or Fox Business. It's going to be about business. They do have shows, and those shows are different. The one that I typically am on, I think you've been on, which is called Squawk Alley, is, is mostly about tech. It's a financial show, but it's mostly about tech. But you know CNBC is about business. You know Fox Business is about business. I defy any listener here to tweet either of us and tell us, what is the difference between NBC, ABC, and CBS.
0: CBS has worse shows. That- <laughs>
1: well, I, I, that <laughs> may be true at the moment, but it may not have been true five years ago, and it may not be true three years ago. Right. Three years from now, it does not have it. it doesn't have a sense of taste. It does not have, you know, a, a, an editorial voice. It does not have anything like that. It, it, it doesn't have a. It's not like you could say, "Well, CBS taste runs this way." NBC's taste runs this way, and the same with a lot of basic cable channels. The one I used on when I was ranting on CNBC today, and it was a rant, was TBS, and I just picked them randomly. But I mean, you know, and I just said, you know, to me, it's not just the cable bundle that's bad. The network bundle, at least in these general purpose networks, is ridiculous. Yeah, there's no particular re- if you took. Let's talk about Saturday Night Live, which this year, for all the reasons we understand, and last year is apparently having a a, a renaissance in its ratings and has been on TV now for 42 years, 41, 42, something like that. It happens to be on NBC. Would anyone give a damn if it moved to ABC, if it moved to TBS, if it moved to, I don't know, AMC? Right. Does anyone care? As, as long yeah, as when they rerun cable,
0: SNL on Comedy Central, does anyone say this doesn't feel right?
1: No, and you know how I watch SNL. SNL a lot of times, I very rarely watch it from beginning to end anymore, which I used to. I maybe I stay up and watch the cold open and mm-hmm. a little bit, and then I get bored because you know it's uneven. It's always been it's famously uneven. There have been books yeah. written about it, and so the best way to watch it is to wait till the morning and watch the clips on YouTube and you'll see all the highlights it's just like watching a, a baseball game which has a lot of dead time in it but the highlights are really exciting same thing with SNL you want to watch the highlights you can watch where am i watching those am i watching those on NBC uh, directly on, on you know through comcast in my on my big screen television no i'm watching them on my phone or my ipad and i'm watching them on a property owned by google i'm sure NBC is making some money off it and i don't begrudge them that Sure Lauren Michaels is making some money and I certainly don't begrudge that but I mean the point is I watch it in a way different way than I used to have to watch it before and the network doesn't matter the fact that it's on NBC doesn't matter right in my opinion and so there's that's another kind of bundle and and yet you watch how do you choose which cable plan to get how do you even choose which plan to get on DirecTV Now and Sling TV, which are internet streamed services that I think are just cable but moved to IP, you choose by network. And yet that's a stupid way to choose.
0: Yeah. I mean, mean, it's funny because I'm sure you know, the listeners probably don't, but there's like this historical reason that ABC, NBC, CBS are these crazy general purpose networks. Which is they used to be the only networks, so they had to program these random huge blocks of things to appeal to everyone, and that you know that's why there's like five hours of comedy and then thirty minutes of local news and then some reruns and then a morning show
1: and then some murder and some <laughs> crime shows and some that's cartoons not how, for the kids. But
0: they're no longer the only networks, right? But it, it, in no way are they the only networks.
1: And I'm sure we have listeners young enough to not know what I'm about to say, which is the term network came from the fact that what are they networks of? They're really not networks of shows. They're networks of affiliate local stations, which you probably think of only in terms of local news and weather, but which in the beginning of television actually produced programming, entertainment. Uh, I don't think any of them or hardly any of them do anymore – they hold the broadcast over-the-air licenses, which are essentially irrelevant today, except for—I mean, you know—it depends where you live, but for most of the population, they're irrelevant. They're pretty. Uh, relevant. We're
0: going to get some cord cutters who are going to tell us about their their antennas. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, look, look. I get it. I, I cord cutters, uh, you're right. I love you. Don't bother. Uh, take your fingers off the keys right now. <laughs> I know, that, I know that you have an antenna and you're getting fantastic HD. <laughs> Over the air shows from local stations, local affiliates. What are they affiliates of? They're affiliate. They have to pick, and sometimes in cities, this just happened. I think in Boston, one of the you know people get used to knowing that channel whatever is ABC, and channel uh, the other one, channel X is CBS, whatever. And sometimes they switch. It's like a business deal, right? They have a falling out with the network, and they uh, and they switch. That's what – it's a network of the people that actually hold the -the over-the-air broadcast licenses, which except for cord cutters and people who don't happen to have cable or satellite, which is a relatively small part of the population, has become kind of irrelevant. And so, I mean, I just think if you have a very focused network that is giving you interesting offering of programming around a certain kind of subject or genre, that's fine. That makes sense. That's a logical bundle. But a lot of the bundles we call networks are just outdated legacy things that need to go away. And then there are bundles of what. so a cable bundle is really a bundle of bundles. Yep. And the real thing you care about is the show. So you're on you know, CNBC you care...
0: today and you're saying we should shut down NBC. I'm sure that went over great.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I, ex- I said now, of course, <laughs> I'm not talking about CNBC because CNBC is focused. Yeah. that was lucky <laughs> you know <laughs> you're, you're, you're not tuning into CNBC to see you know stranger things you're just not
0: but you know it's interesting we talk about taking back and windowing one of CNBC's biggest hits is Shark Tank which actually isn't their show right they syndicated Shark Tank and people watch the hell out of Shark Tank on CNBC but Shark Tank originally ran elsewhere it's these things are way it's still they're, it,
1: they're, they're, but it's consistent so with their brand it's a it's a businessy show. Yeah, no, so that's absolutely true. But it's just funny, I,
0: you know. Shark Tank started on another network in its first run on that network, but it's a huge hit in syndication for CNBC.
1: Anyhow, oh, listen, I mean, Netflix has revived what Arrested Development. I can't remember what network. Yeah, that every was on. show. And then they made they made a new one. They just revived the Gilmore Girls, which, if I remember correctly, was on two different obscure networks in its original run. Yeah. And then a whole other generation rediscovered it in in in. As back catalog on Netflix, and then Netflix made four ninety minute essentially movies of it, uh, and, and of course they don't re- release ratings, so I don't know how well it did. But um, you know, there well, there it's is funny a fan base. You, know, you just talked to that these show.
0: General purpose traditional networks. I think it was at Code Media. I am not sure who which speaker said this, but it, it struck me. Netflix is turning into the most traditional network of all, right? They're they're just taking all the old hits from the nineties and making new ones and throwing them up on Netflix. Like, did you like Full House? Right. Here's some more Full House. Uh, and that is a, a fascinating model for Netflix. They're, they're sort of just like filling this nostalgia void. They've got other great stuff, right? They've got all the Marvel stuff and you know all their other series. But it's interesting. You don't think of Netflix as a targeted TV delivery service at all. It's it's just got this huge array of everything.
1: Now you're right. The person that said that on stage, my recollection was, Ben Silberman, who was on with Eddie Q. There you he's go. on with Eddie Q because he's producing Planet of the Apps. Yeah, of course. And and he was the head of NBC at one time. And, and he, like I said earlier in the podcast, he, he did the American version of The Office. And I think he said that in response to a question about, uh, to Eddie Q, uh, or to him, maybe to him, about isn't your show derivative of other, uh, you know, of... Shark Tank and Project Runway and that kind of thing, except it's about apps, which is, by the way, a giant commercial for Apple. And I think his answer, or somebody said something about Netflix, and his answer was, "Look at Netflix, look at," and he mentioned the Gilmore Girls, and he mentioned uh, whatever I think Full House or Arrested Development, one of these, and he said, "You know, they are making the most traditional kind of television shows that there have been. They're still making them. The comedies tend to be half an hour." The dramas tend to be an hour. I don't know where that. I mean, he didn't say this, but I was thinking, i sitting in the audience, thinking to myself, hmm, "That's interesting. When did that happen? Where did that come from?" I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there have been hour comedies and half an hour dramas, but you know, it's mostly the other way around. Uh, his point was Netflix does make traditional TV, yeah. but that's not what I, I mean. Look, one thing at a time, one gigantically hard thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right.
0: <laughs> This episode of control Wall delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term Smart Home simply meant a remote-controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title Smart Home implies, Vivint Smart Home. As the number one Smart Home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. With all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras, to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free, customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint smart home and security system offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to Vivint.com slash Walt to learn more. That's V-I-V-I-N-T dot slash Walt. So what we have been talking about broadly for the, this first more than half of the show now, uh, and broadly, I would say for the entire run of control elite is a concept known as convergence, right? You're going to take the, t- the computer and you're going to put the computer in everything else. So phones obviously are the greatest example of this. Phones have converged every other device that you might have ever carried around with you, your music player, your camera, whatever it is. The holy grail of convergence is the PC in the living room right you're going to put a computer in the living room and merge it with TV in some way we the apple tv is an example of that the xbox is an example of that people used to think people still do this they put home theater PCs in their living room no one's ever gotten it right microsoft has this for years i have here walt sent me <laughs> i think the my favorite old column of his it's from 1993 and it's only my favorite because i coveted this thing so much well, I got to tell you, when you wrote this, I was 12 years old, um, and I wanted yeah. this thing so bad. It is, <laughs> it is a product called the Macintosh TV.
1: By the way, I was I was 15 when I wrote it. <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, in the Wall Street Journal. This column is so old it's you can't find it in the Journal. Walt had to dig up a PDF of it. Um, <laughs> but n- November 4th, 1993, uh, page B1. walk up B1 for the Mac TV in the Wall Street Journal. The headline. Well, you got to tell me you didn't write this headline, but here's the headline.
1: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write the headline. It's no. okay.
0: Well, whoever did, I hope, I hope they were reprimanded because the headline is here's something new on the old apple tree, <laughs> which is <laughs> just awful. But anyway, the Mac yeah. TV, I'll, I'll just read uh, the, the intro paragraph you have and then I'm going to read one more paragraph. Um, it, the Mac TV, a new and unusual $2,100 computer from Apple Computer, still called Apple Computer at the time, called the Macintosh TV, a complete multimedia center in one integrated box, the more radical of a pair of one-piece multimedia computers Apple just released, uh, the other called the Performa 550, is essentially the same machine without the TV function. Inside the Mac TV is a medium-powered Mac computer with 5 megabytes of memory, 160 <laughs> megabyte hard disk, more than adequate for home use. The built-in display is a sharp, full-size Sony Trinitron 14-inch CRT. Uh, hey, Trinitron it's got a was CD a good ROM, thing. Blah, blah. Uh, it also had a cable jack on the back. You can click a button and tap the or tap the keys. The screen switches from computer TV uh, or to a video display for any other device you attach, such as game machine or VCR. And then you've got some drawbacks here. Still, the Macintosh TV has a few drawbacks. Uh, the whole concept of combining a computer and television set may as well. Uh, it doesn't support Apple's latest fastest or, pr- latest or fastest processor. It can only display 256 colors at a time in computer <laughs> mode. <laughs> its memory can only be expanded to 8 megabytes. It doesn't come yeah. with a modem. The TV picture is grainy and jerky when viewed uh, from the short distance when people work on. And if you don't like the built-in screen, you're stuck. This product, it it was $2,100 in 1993. That is extraordinarily expensive. If I told you that in 2017 I wanted you to buy a desktop computer for $2,100, you would assume it was like near the top of the line. This is like a super mid-range computer in Apple's lineup and all in one. It was $2,100. It's one absolute amazing feature was that it was black. Right, it was like the one black Macintosh you could buy at the time, and it had this cable jack in the back, and it just didn't go anywhere. The idea of you are gonna literally use I bet they display. sold twenty
1: five thousand of them or something. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that to me is it's that's like the first thing, and you have here that Compaq had some like this, you know, TV cards for PCs were very popular at the time, but this was Apple's first attempt to make this kind of product, and it just it was. It, it was too hard. It was like the technology was too difficult to make it work, and it just that right. idea has never come back. Correct. Actually, Mike, when, what do you what do, what do you remember about writing this column besides writing, watching? I, I think you were watching Star Trek while you wrote it, as you mentioned. Well, that that's column, always so a good so.
1: thing. Uh, what I remember about it was, <laughs> I guess, I guess I felt some of the same things I feel now. I mean, you know, that something needed to shake up TV. That you were spending a lot of your time in front of, in, in those days, a desktop computer. There were laptops, but uh, desktops were still dominant. And you, as long as you were going to be sitting in front of this computer, wouldn't it be cool to also watch TV at the same time? Look, Microsoft built a lot of Windows, uh, or Microsoft's OEMs built a lot of Windows PCs with uh, coax jacks in them, and and Windows had a provision. For, for this, even for DVRing. This came later. So, um, and you didn't have to buy a separate card. It was just in there. You didn't have to use it, but you could use it. So a lot of people had the same idea that, okay, you had these two fair, fairly similar size. Remember, in those days, screens weren't that differently sized. TVs were bigger, but they were not right. nearly as big as they are now. Uh, and um, nobody thought, I can't remember what the size of that screen was. I probably said it in the column, but nobody thought that screen was inappropriately tiny for a TV. Uh, just like no, no, right?
0: It was 14 inches, and I, I I bet knowing Apple, it was 1024 by 768, yes, or 800 by when 600. I, right. w- that was, prob-
1: was probably probably 800. But, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was the higher one because of TV. But I mean, um, so the so I remember that's what I, that's why did I write about it because it was new and different and. And because people did have this uh, these two screens and why not, why not combine them? I also did, and, and I didn't remember this but until today, but I, I, I did the first Apple TV review. I got it I think I got it 10 days early or something, and uh, that was in 2007. And yeah, that was also in a way tied to your computer because the first Apple TV, which came out a little bit ahead of the Roku, Uh, not Roku the company existed but they were doing audio things Uh, it was less than a year maybe I think ahead of the first Roku and what it was and and there may have been some smaller brands out there this is typical Apple right Um, small companies try to do something and they don't get much traction and then Apple sort of figures out a sleeker nicer looking thing that works within their ecosystem, and they bring it out. And I think that was the case with Apple TV. But what Apple TV... Apple TV did not uh, give you entire programs or TV programs or movies from the Internet. It gave you, if I remember correctly, it gave you movie previews, which were part of the iTunes store and still are, and it gave you, like, trailers, the trailers for the movies, and it gave you... Preview clips of the TV shows you could download, could buy, but mostly it pulled things off your computer. And it could do it, I think, up to six computers, including Windows PCs, if they were running iTunes, the Windows version of iTunes. So um, it could be things you bought from the iTunes store, which were traditional TV shows or movies, or it could be your home uh, vid- videos, whatever. But it was a box, it had its own hard disk, and it was designed to uh, take the things that were on your computer screen and show them on the big TV screen. So in a way...
0: It was basically a little Mac. Um, I, I pulled it up here. It has got it had an Intel processor, a 40 gigabyte hard drive, and a modified version of the Mac operating system It basically ran, it, you know, if you're a deep Apple nerd, Apple used to have this thing called Front Row that it would run on right. computers, um, and it basically ran like a kind of a modified, weird version of that. It's all gone now. The new Apple TV has nothing to do with this product. But it was basically a little Mac that ran iTunes. And you could stream stuff, but mostly you downloaded stuff to this hard drive and then played it back.
1: Right. So we've come a long way since then. Not not only, you know, for all my criticism, the current uh, set-top streaming boxes are quite advanced compared to that. The current set-top streaming box services... That run on them, like Netflix, like Hulu, like Amazon Prime—the uh, streaming part of it. There's also a, a purchase part of it, but um, you know, these things are un- were un- would have been unimaginable back in those days, and they're they're great to have. I just think I'm really impatient about how long it's taking to get to just break through the le- legacy. These things are pre- coexisting; these kind of All of these things are sort of crippled. Netflix can't get brand-new TV shows unless it makes them. Apple has this TV app, which is exactly the right idea in my opinion. And by the way, it's not just on Apple TV. It's on the iOS devices as well. But Netflix isn't in it, probably for some business reason. You know, Amazon – And their big
0: single sign-on cable feature is just unsupported.
1: Unsupported. You know, so as a technology company – and a software comp- hardware and software company, that got the right ideas. Amazon has some good ideas. Google has some good ideas. They all have good ideas. And this legacy world is still holding it all back. And so that's what I wrote in this column. It's, there are changes. Certainly, it's a giant change that people are watching TV on phones. But the legacy guys still have, the, have this power to hold, to hold it back.
0: Well, I think those that, that that phones, tablets, TVs question to me. You know, I think people are always going to buy TVs. Big screens are nice to watch, but I think that the danger for all of these companies is that you know if it's just easier to watch YouTube on my phone, it, it's not like I'm missing out on some great network sitcom situation, right? Like most of the stuff they make is of pretty iffy quality, and that's fine. And they cancel those shows and put out new shows, and some of the stuff is great. But you don't have to if you don't have to watch the stuff. If you don't have to watch the garbage, you can just pick what you watch. And there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube, or there's a lot of great stuff on Netflix. And you're just watching on your phone because it's easier than monkeying around with one of these complicated TV inter- interfaces. That's the to me that is by far the
1: real danger. Okay. The- Put it on the pile.
0: And it- One more thing on the pile. So here's my last question, because this is how you started your column. And we've talked about this many times, this particular quote. But Steve Jobs said to Walter Isaacson, I, f- I figured it out. I cracked it. I made TV. I, I know what to do with TV. Uh, and he-, he said similar to you, and he talked about Comcast with you, and we- we've talked about those stories many times. But do you think he, ha- he would have been able to break through this? Is this just a, a problem of there not being – that singular sort of personality and vision in the industry to get the right thing done or is it just too complicated?
1: Okay, so I don't know if he would have been able to do it. I think, you know, certainly it is very complicated for the reasons we discussed and probably some we didn't discuss, but it's very complicated. I do think that one of the most singular things that Apple lost when he died young was the possibility of doing of, of revolutionizing TV and this is not a knock on Tim Cook and it's not a knock certainly on Eddie Q, who was even under Steve Jobs his sort of deputy and wingman and point man whatever you want to call it on on the on with the music guys and, and with the TV guys and who knows all these guys and has relationships but I don't think you know Steve Jobs, was irreplaceable in many ways, but one of the ways in which he was irreplaceable was he was a figure in the entertainment industry. He was, you know, he was the CEO of Pixar, the most successful movie studio for X years running, Uh, but in terms of, of, of box office and not just box office, but Oscars and reviews and all that kind of stuff. And he had juice uh, with these people, yeah, in a way that again, I I happen to personally like Eddie Q, and I've known him a long time, so Eddie has some juice, I'm sure. But he he would probably be <laughs>
0: don't worry, Eddie. He would be the you've got you've got he juice would be the too. first
1: one to agree with me that Steve, because he had a foot in both tech, he was I can't think of anyone else who had as much of a significant presence both in tech and in Hollywood as him, and um, it, it, it you know, maybe maybe read uh, you know from Netflix today is like that, but not he's not running a, a well he, he is I guess he is running a studio. but so yeah, the answer is, was there a possibility that if Steve Jobs a better possibility that if Steve Jobs hadn't died at, at that you know in his 50s and was still alive today and vigorous that more progress, at the very least more progress would have been made. And uh, maybe the whole thing would have been broken through. Yeah, I think there is certainly that possibility. And so that's one of the big, bigger uh, kind of after effects of of his early death.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think about it just in super, super dumb ways. He was a huge celebrity, right? People wanted to meet him. No, that's right. And that that means that if, you know, you need to convince the musicians or the performers or whoever – to get on board with something, hey, you're going to meet Steve Jobs is an invitation they want to take. And just in general, he was a celebrity, right? I mean, and he was just a huge and celebrity. And he was also
1: viewed as somebody who understood the arts. He was. That was yeah. that was how he was viewed, and that has continued to help Apple as a company. Uh, where you know some of it's I don't I don't think for instance, and this is look that there there may be more opera lovers working for Microsoft than for Apple I just don't know but I I don't (laughs) think in the entertainment industry people think of Microsoft as an arts oriented company even if it is Uh, but they do think of Apple as an arts oriented company even when it isn't if that makes any sense I mean you know and and that's a Jobs legacy and uh, and you're right Jobs personally instantiated that so you know that could all have helped
0: you know uh, it's what's interesting about that comparison in particular is that Microsoft actually, they don't run, they obviously don't make TV shows, but they actually create a bunch of cultural products, right? They they run Xbox. They make video games. Like, as video, video games, art, conversation has twists and turns in history that we absolutely don't have time to go into, but Microsoft employs a bunch of digital artists and a bunch of storytellers. They do. And I, I think as we... Talk about interactivity and video and television. At some point, the the video game side of that conversation it, it 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 just takes on a different role beyond you know this is shooter games for kids and we start to say, hey, these are cultural products. This is an industry of cultural products that makes as much money um, as some of the biggest standard film TV studios out there, if not more. And that part of it is, I think, really interesting to me.
1: I entirely agree with you. I'm not a gamer, and, and I, that's, not a, yeah. that's not a shock uh, to people who follow me. But I respect it, and I completely agree with you. I would only say that Apple and Google, through Android and, and its, its hardware partners, um, have made gigantic number of devices, far more than game consoles, the number of game consoles, on which people are playing much simpler and cruder games, but they are playing games. Huge game platforms. Uh, yeah, it's a different level. It's a different type of game, but it's there. And also television, also music, all these cultural things. Now, yeah, you know, Apple is now making a couple of TV shows. Amazon is way ahead of them and is actually, uh, you know, won awards. Um, Google, to my knowledge is not yet but I don't think YouTube on its own has made a, a show although certainly they've encouraged YouTube uh, stars to do to do entertainment uh, products and they do them every day. So uh, in one way or another all these people are profoundly involved and yes Microsoft gets to be counted uh, and so does Sony for uh, uh, gaming which is a clearly an an entertainment thing. This column happened to be about TV and not about all all kinds of...
0: Well, the only reason I bring it up is that Q talked about this interactivity piece. And it's just so interesting how I think one of the best reasons to have a big TV, if you are interested in video games, is to play console games. It's it's a reason that if you're a cord cutter, you're still going to buy a giant... OLED panel or whatever because they look better on them and that's how you play them. And it's just – it's a piece of that market that I think is – it's going to go from being over there to being at the center of that conversation someday. Like you've been saying this whole time, add it onto the pile. It's just – it's another piece of that puzzle. No, it is. One day it's all going to resolve.
1: It is. And if the tech guys could kind of stitch all these pieces of the pile together and wait a little bit – Come back at the studios, keep coming back at the studios. But one number I want to, you know, that I know that uh, uh, Peter Kafka is watching, and I'll bet Dieter Bone is watching, who we need to mention, of course. Oh,
0: we got to mention it. He's got a scoop today. I I was going to ask you about it at the very end. Totally tangential, but go ahead.
1: uh, Okay. Well, I want to be asked about it. But um, is the number of people subscribing to traditional uh, cable? And I'll just say one more thing about it before you tell me about Dieter's scoop. Uh, or or you asked me about Dieter scoop, and that is you know Ben Thompson in his kind of strategic talk about the great unbundling, uh, said he could envision a world he didn't he didn't absolutely predict this so I want to be careful, but he could envision a world in which cable as we understand it today and satellite only basically consist of a fairly expensive all, all live sports offering and everything else yep. migrates into an unbundled environment
0: I think that's. I mean I think that's I wouldn't say it's only sports I think there's a bunch of other live stuff um, award shows that's a thing that people like to watch live um, game shows you know things like American Idol but I, I completely agree that's the value that's why I have a cable su- subscription The other thing I'll say for better or worse, here now in 2017 every cable news network has a huge spike in ratings people want to watch live. Yeah, but I can't news. stand it to watch
1: I mean I'll I'll watch that the way I do Saturday Night Live through clips basically you know they yeah. they, they probably aren't yeah. going to be off YouTube they might be off Twitter but you know if Jake Tapper is going to have an argument with Kelly and Conway, I'm going to see that. I'm going to, I'm going to, seriously, <laughs> is it worth the investment oh of my no. time to watch CNN for however many hours until that happens or to just wait until somebody tweets it with a link and then I go watch it, you know, and there it is. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. For me, I amortized my entire uh, cable uh, subscription for the year by watching the Super Bowl.
0: I know, Walt. I knew it was coming. There it is. I, I was waiting this whole episode <laughs> for you to mention the New England Patriots winning.
1: The Super Bowl. I didn't use that. I are. didn't use Look. those words. I just said Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> All right, Dieter. Dieter. I, uh, real quick, Dieter. I don't know if you read it yet. It literally went up while we were podcasting. Well, then I didn't read uh, it. So I haven't, read I haven't. Read it. But but Dieter, he's got the Chromebook Plus. He was interested in what the hell the processor is in it. Did a bunch of digging, found trademark files. This whole thing, it's Google's processor. They're making, they they work ah. with Rockchip. They have their own ARM processor called the OP1. They got this whole thing coming where they, you know, they work with the processor vendors to to make the ARM chips to their specifications. That's why the Chromebook Plus works as well on ARM, where other Chromebooks that are on ARM, have all pr- pretty much been dog slow in the past. But Google's doing this thing that we've been talking about, putting ARM chips and laptops, and optimizing the chips. So Google is getting in this game. It's you know it's Google's way, so that they're not doing it themselves or working with a partner, the partners get using their branding. But whatever, it's the OP1. There's a whole website that says made for Chromebooks. They're, Dieter basically broke the news. He you know pushed them into admitting it. His his theory is this is important because Google is. Pushing ahead with ARM for Chromebooks, Microsoft is doing ARM for Windows. We all feel like the other shoe is going to drop for Apple. This is sort of the Intel moment when the pressure is on Intel. I, I just that's the story. What, what do you agree? The pressures is just like coming.
1: Here are my immediate thoughts. First of all, yeah, go Dieter. Dieter is a great reporter. Yeah. Secondly, you know they're obviously following in, in particularly in Apple's footsteps. Uh, uh, You know, Apple bought a silicon company. They don't – so just so listeners don't uh, misunderstand, Apple doesn't own what's called a fab, which is the name for a factory that makes chips. They they have somebody else fabricated who does have a fab, uh, usually more than one. But they design their own processors, and this is a big leg up. In their ARM-based devices, that is, uh, of course, all the, uh, the the iPad and the iPhone. Uh, it's a big leg up because they can deeply and tightly integrate it with their operating system, which has been a disadvantage for Android. Uh, now, you know, we've talked about this, and we'll continue to talk about this probably on the podcast. Google's moving into hardware and um, having uh, the ability to control their silicon. Just like Apple does, uh, and design their own silicon with full knowledge of what's in the new version of Android and how they can interact. I think is um, necessary and smart, and it's a big deal. I think it's a big, big deal, um, and uh, I think it does. It just puts immense pressure on Intel, which missed mobile. Uh, you know, it's in some tablets, but they're Windows tablets that really don't run. Uh, they do. They do run. Let me be clear. Windows tablets run tablet software. Windows tablet software. But my strong guess is that most, at least this is anecdotally what I see walking up and down the aisle on airplanes or walking through Starbucks, wherever I see somebody with a with a, a Surface tablet, is most people most of the time on those tablets are running classic desktop Windows, uh, which was designed for Intel, but can run on ARM. So, you know, this sounds like a very smart move for Google. And uh, it just reinforces my crazy prediction about the little MacBook becoming an an ARM-based machine.
0: Or Intel is going to respond to competition and blow us all. Away. You know. But yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen.
1: Good for us. I don't own <laughs> any stock in ARM. It's good for everybody. I don't own any stock in ARM. You don't own any stock in ARM. Dieter doesn't own any stock in ARM. We don't really care. We just want great gadgets, great tablets, great phones, great laptops, great whatever. You know.
0: Yeah, and well, wait, that was great the, the big t- Dieter. Dieter was on the show last week. He had a whole section this week. I mean, it's just. It's a mutiny with that kid. Um, (laughs) 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 That's true. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, we're... Man, I could keep going about TV forever. But we're out of time this week. As always, you can talk to us. We love it when you send us your intros. I'm at Reckless. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. Uh, I've got a new little thing going where I'm just, like, doing basically notes about tech news. I'm trying to do it every day. So tweet at me about that if you like it you don't like it.
1: I'm having a good time. You're talking about show notes. Show notes.
0: Show notes. <laughs> so I do this thing for the Vergecast. I was gonna. It's, I was gonna yeah, to but it's
1: named. Re- it's named show notes.
0: It's named show notes, which is a pun. Dieter's very happy that it's a pun
1: because
0: <laughs> it's like I'm showing you my notes. Yeah. But the joke is that to prep for the Vergecast, I take notes on all the news. Yeah. And I figured I could just publish. Prob- I could, I really like As doing it. As opposed to this
1: podcast, so I'm going
0: to do it every day. <laughs> so show notes. But yeah, let me know if you like it. It, it. It'll be. It's. I'm trying to aim for like 5 p.m. every day. Let me know if you like it. If you don't like it, I'm interested. There's also a bunch of other stuff to listen to, including The Verge Cast, uh, which Deer and I host. That comes out on Fridays. Uh, Our friend Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask on the Recode side. That show is great. Uh, We talked about Peter Kafka a million times in this episode, in particular. uh, He hosts Recode Media, which is also wonderful, actually one of my favorites. And Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is uh, just, quite frankly, amazing. Kara's on a... And the whole Trump terror lately, it's, it's just amazing. So listen to all that stuff. It's all on iTunes. Find it all. Rate it. Review it. Give it five stars. Uh, I'm doing a new thing at the end of our shows where I'm saying, hey, tell a friend. Tell a friend about control Elite. delete Buy a t-shirt. You can buy a t-shirt and wear the t-shirt and then tell your friend about the t-shirt and make a watch. It. And a sticker. The thing buy get. a sticker. Uh, and a sticker. C- cannot forget the sticker. We finally got swag. After a whole year while it's been asking for swag, we finally got it. I, f- I have to tell everybody about the end. But yeah, talk to us on Twitter. Buy the merch, tell a friend, rate us, review it, send us intros. We love the intros so much, and we will be back next week. Thanks so
1: much, Paul. Thank you, Neelai.